When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stop, stop, stop. Just before this big interview begins, I need to tell you about a new book being published by Backpage, the good guys, the made guys, who published my two books on Barca and Spain, and who also, thank the Lord for them, produced this podcast. Football 2.0, How the World's Best Play the Modern Game by Grant Wall, is in all good bookstores. What does that mean to you? Well, Grant Wall sits down with superstars such as Manuel Neuer, Vincent Company, and Xabi Alonso. And thanks to extensive interviews with players in every key position on and off the pitch, he explains the technical and tactical revolution which has transformed modern football. This book is packed with insights that only those at the very top of the sport can offer. In the words of my good friend Gabriel Marcotti, Grant Wall is an expert storyteller who has managed to get some of the best in the world to share the secrets of their trade. So, big interview listeners, that's your World Cup reading sorted. On the eve of a tantalising Champions League final in Kiev between Real Madrid and Liverpool, we thought it would be a good idea to dig out a classic episode, although I say so myself, from our archives. Imagine you're a player or coach and it's 24 hours to your first ever Champions League final. What do you think about? What do you do? How's the level of tension? How do you soak up the memories and take them away with you, win, lose or draw? Paul Clement is going to break down exactly what that was like for him as an assistant to Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti in 2014, when eventually, dramatically, they defeated Atletico Madrid in the first ever City derby in a European Cup final. Just wait for his explanation of what it felt like looking down the tunnel before the match and Cristiano Ronaldo's ability to make him smile, breathe out and feel reassured. The tension in the last seconds of the game, when Atleti are leading 1-0, the Ica Casillas mistake, the celebrations, Paul Clement will take you right into the electric tension of a Champions League final. You've qualified. Now go out and win. You know, the final is against a brutal rival who you've had games against um, during the season what I'd really like to know rather than talking about the game is I'll bet you that many people listening have either spent several hundred quid on finding a ticket somehow to go to a Champions League final whether their team's involved or not flown somewhere 
fought against crook hotel owners to get a bed at 350 euros a night in a European city and they passed a day worrying about will my ticket be there or is it dry, will we be able to get a drink, will we get in, will it be fun, will it be rubbish? What is going to a Champions League final like? What was it like then? Arriving the night before, arriving in Lisbon, can you break that process down up to kick-off? As far as you can remember it. Yeah, I'm almost certain I'm right in saying that we went two nights ahead for this game. So we trained at Valdebebas two days before the game and then we, we headed out to Lisbon. Yeah. Uh, normally we would always be there just the day before, training the stadium, and then. but we went that night. So we got there two days before, in the evening, dinner, beds, next morning it was up, so now we're the day before the game. Myself, Carlo, Zizou, we were reviewed some video of Atletico, we start to build about what we're going to do with our final presentation stuff with the players and then we do a final session that evening in the stadium that session didn't involve any tactical work you know that work's done at Valdebebas it's not something that we were going to do no last chance is just to underline a couple of points no it's not something we were going to do in the stadium so what are they doing just getting used to the atmosphere or yeah getting, getting the feel of the stadium and that's really what it was whenever we played in the Champions League in the way stadiums I know this was a neutral stadium but mm-hmm. you, always, you always have to be aware that if you're working in a neutral stadium or in a way stadium that you're, you're going to be looked at there are know? prying eyes yeah you, it's, it's not it's that not matters sec- it's not secure it can do you know, if there's certain players that are not sure whether they're going to make it I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that final there were a number of players that had some doubts over them Gareth had just come through an injury Cristiano and, and Karim were always going to play but were not 100% mm. but Pepe was the big question mark whether he was going to make it or not and he didn't but the others did so you know they're not the things that you want to see and from their point of view there was a big question mark about whether Diego Costa was going to play oh shit you know he'd I mean, damaged his hamstring the week top twice yeah, before because in the Barcelona Quarter final, he limps off. Yeah, and then comes back. The, and the week before, in a league game. Yeah, I think. So clearly not. Yeah. Ready. So everything was saying that he wasn't going to play. You know, the doctors, our doctors were saying if he's got this injury, he can't, he can't play. play. Yeah. But then we found out, not by seeing because we weren't able to see, but that he had trained just as we were arriving at the stadium to train. They were coming off. We knew he trained, but we didn't know what he'd done. So we did predict that he would start but we didn't know exactly what sort of condition he was in so a light training session we normally did the rondos and you know with a small game a little bit of finishing at the end and and then back to the hotel bed and the day of the game is where we started to you know really finalise the prep players pretty much knew what the team was although it hadn't absolutely been confirmed the work that Carlo had done in the week pretty much showed them but what the Pepe decision in that case every injury will mean that you might decide that two days before or the day before or two hours before but whether a player plays or not when was the Pepe decision taken and what, what's that based upon Pepe, in that instance yeah Pepe was given you know as much opportunity as he could really to, to show that whether he was fit or not so he did train going into the last game but you know discussions between him the doctor and the coach you know it was going to be too much of a risk mm-hmm. so he went onto the bench and Varane was going to start the game ah. and Varane knew that as well Varane knew that he was uh, he had a good chance of playing uh, leading into that because of Pep's problem but it was made 
I quite like that decision. So day before the game. Can you? On a Champions League final, particularly in Lisbon when both Madrid teams have got there, this let's go for a 20-minute walk in the morning, which Spanish teams love doing. And I've seen the World Cup winning Spain side mooching about, you know, in their tracksuits, yeah. wandering around a park or queuing up outside the zoo. Did you risk that? Can you risk no, that? We what is worth? We couldn't do that with Madrid, and particularly for that game as well. Because the Atleti fans or in both, it was security. It was, yeah, security. It was if you have Cristiano in your team, you know, to, to go on a walk on the streets with Cristiano is virtually impossible. We had a facility within the hotel where they were able to do some light exercises on the day of the game. That was on the morning, and then we went into a series of meetings. Carlo, with the help of some of the team behind the scenes, had put together a lovely motivational video that included messages from mums, dads, wives, children, which brought a few tears to the players' eyes, along with you know our path to the final with some you know really uplifting music. And then there was obviously the details of Atletico and also how we would play as well, which included my most, how can I say, planned thought out and uh, nerve-wracking talk I've ever given mm. considering the fact that Atletico was so strong as well in set plays well let's try to put a number on it I guess that season they probably scored 20 plus goals in set plays yeah I mean uh, over the two years I think they were hovering around between 60 and 64% of their goals came from set plays which was European leading figure for a, for a team that's right at the you know, top of the division or in the Champions League final so it was a standout figure we knew we had to get that part right so the, the presentation which was the longest that I'd given I think all season in a second language for a Champions League final was, it was uh, what can I say stressful to say the least <laughs> can, can I ask the human thing because your Spanish is quite good but it is stressful everything's got to be right because you don't want to look at the pitch that's not what so do you stomp around your hotel room kind of yeah, saying it absolutely a lot of practice a lot of practice and one of the uh, analysts uh, Santi Fernandez who's still at the club now he spoke good English so between the two of us in the days leading into it we had chosen exactly the graphical images the, to really deliver that message very clearly and I practiced and practiced and practiced in front of him you know as Spanish speaker his first language he was really able to help me get the the exact words if you like principally about defending set plays both how we need to defend and how we need to attack mm. and if the final is a set play for them so you can imagine at that point I'm thinking oh no please do not lose the Champions League final to a set play and then a set play ultimately gets us in a position to win the final where are your thoughts as you're in the bus going to it? Because players have often talked to me, players in Spain are good, they'll share. And then sometimes they speak in a way that we're not taught to in Britain. They'll really be quite frank about their emotions or their thoughts and often they'll be thinking about their what the video showed them, their wives, their mums, their dads, their kids. As you get on the bus, is the bus noisy? Is it deadly quiet? What are you thinking about? Yeah. Does it matter who sits where? For me, there was almost a certain sense of relief at that point because... I delivered, from my point of view, what was going to be a really important part of my job. So sitting on the bus at that point, it was like, well, I've done, I've done that now. And um, 
you know, a lot of the responsibilities now on the players. The players had a certain set of music that was played regularly throughout the season, so the CD went on. It was also about enjoying the experience of taking the that, journey. That's what I was asking about. Because yeah. on the streets, I mean, it was it was fantastic and very unique that basically almost the whole of Madrid had you know, camped themselves in Lisbon for the day. So the, the mixture of the, the white shirts with the red and white of Atletico mixing together, the fan zone, and then the approach to the, the stadium was really quite special. And getting to the stadium, one of the great things has been like turning that music off. Or getting, you know, players' music is usually crap. <laughs> was there anything that was any good? In no, that there were, to be fair, there was. There was. A, it was quite. Any stone rules? Nice any well? No, 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 no. no, no There's some good tunes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll take. I'll take that on trust. Some, yeah, some Latin music, some of the Spanish songs. It was. The songs were quite. Did you have one good. on there? No, you did. no, no. There was none of mine. No. Carlo always tried to get his playlist on, but <laughs> what would he put on? Oh, God. Sinatra. He had like love songs. <laughs> I don't know, you've been singing a lot, haven't you? You can't play these, Carlo. What, Reunited, Peaches and Herb, or what? That kind of lovey-dovey stuff. <laughs> no, he'd have Lionel Richie on the job. <laughs> you, can't, you can't play that. Oh, hello. So that was, uh, that was good. Went out to, uh, no, went out and did the warm-up myself and uh, Zizou with a fitness coach. And the See, the responsibility is back on you again there, because people don't think about that. They think it's a routine, but players break down. Players yeah. miss games yeah. in warm-ups. And as commentators, you're like, well... He was out there, and now he's not. And it's still about calibrating and getting that just right, I guess. Yeah, and you know, by that point, it was the 60th game of the season. Players knew exactly. We never changed the warm-up once yeah. during the whole season. They knew exactly what to do. They knew to prep. Back into the dressing room, and there was recently... Uh, well, I saw it about a year after the final, actually. They showed a fly-on-the-wall documentary of what it was like building up to that, and there was the camera in the dressing room, and that was nice to see, you know, what it was like. You could see the people. Were you aware of it at the time? I know no, you knew it. Totally unaware yeah. of it at the time. Yeah. But then when I saw it back, it was like you could see the anxiety in the dressing room and people wishing each other all the best. And then I have a really memorable moment about when we went out into the tunnel. The tunnel at Lisbon is quite short. So you, you pretty much only had enough space for the two 1 to 11s to line up. And then there's the wall. But there was just enough space for me to be like the 12th man. <laughs> right at the end of the line because I wanted to see out onto the field what was happening and it was the end of the ceremony and you could see the act going on on the pitch all the colours you could just about work out that the rail fans were to this side you could see the white and then just there through the doorway the red and white of Atletico and then the trophy was sitting on the podium and it was a real like hair on the back of your moment situation I was in and I was standing right behind Cristiano and uh, without even realising it, it kind of took my breath. Yeah. And I went like that, and he just turned and looked over his shoulder and went, Paul, don't worry. Like that. And I thought, really, I'm not even playing. I'm not even playing. And he's telling me not to worry. He's here I got my Ballon d'Or boat next season. That is class, so that, was brilliant. that is wonderful. It's a great moment. I'll never forget that. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I often, when I talk about I don't know him, but when you interview him or listen to him, he's actually really witty, yeah. intelligent, admirable in, in just about every way. And he gets a terrible press. Yeah, yeah. Because he's demonstrative and he cares and he he's got the pin, he'll show it. I, I love that. Mm. So did you take his advice? <laughs> I tried, but after they scored and went ahead, it was it was difficult then. Listen, let's let old poor old Eker off the hook here. Yeah. It could happen to anybody, right? Although that wasn't what he'd have been thinking on the night. It, he'd, he'd had a difficult season because he'd been dropped under Jose Mourinho. You came in and between you and maybe... Jesus or not, Carlo and Vecchi, the goalkeeping coach, you crafted a solution where this legendary player would play the cups only, not play the league. Diego Lopez would play the league, and again, I'm not in, uh, not enforcing my perception. Punch me and shout me, you're wrong. If I'm wrong, but he did a good Champions League up to that minute, up to that point. He could have saved you on a couple of occasions and played like you could see us, at least in that competition, right? Yeah, we had we had two really good goalkeepers. There was. No denying when we arrived that Diogo Lopez was in good form. Ica had been struggling for a number of reasons, mainly due to confidence and what happened yeah. with the last manager. And uh, yeah, Carlo managed the situation by sharing the games between the two cup competitions and league for Diego. And both goalkeepers performed very well. And I know certainly within the supporters, the verdict was, was split about yeah. Who is the better goalkeeper and who and, should play? And within the dressing room. I wouldn't ask you to say that, but on them, a favourite player of yours, Alvaro Abeloa, was quite clear. Mm-hmm. And everybody's opinion is, is worthwhile and vital if they're involved. 
And I, I've declared to you before the tape, and I'll do it now on the tape, that I'm a bit of an Iker supporter, a bit of an Iker fan. But I, I genuinely, without defending him, I think in the Champions League, he, he'd found exactly what you said he'd lost. He can start the season not looking the sharpest. He's maybe not always the world's most intense trainer. Mm. But as the competition grew, he played well, and then he made a complete arse up for the, for the Atleti goal. Yeah, it was uncharacteristic of him. He, you know, he got caught in no man's land dealing with a flapping, dealing with a second ball. You know, the ball yeah. got played in. It came which out they were, again. Which they would have featured in your analysis because yeah, they weren't just good at first ball set plays. And they were. We, we talked recently to Michael O'Neill, and he picked up one day or something. He said, like, when Atleti are attacking a set play, it's the first guy, the second guy, the third guy. Everybody's alert, and they're talking rugby about phases of play. They were scoring goals from set plays off second, third, fourth phase play. Yeah, yeah. So they must have been warned about that. No, absolutely. We knew that they were strong in the second phase. It was an error. Everyone knew he made an error. He knew it himself. You could see it in him. There was nothing that could be done at that point. You know, you just had to get on with it. And coming in at half-time, Carlo was brilliant with the players. and He was calm with them. He'd spoken a lot before about, you know, there's another 45 minutes to get back into this game. It's not about panicking. Keep doing your things. Because we played, we played okay. Yeah, no question. We hadn't had any really big chances. The big chances, I think, came in the in the second half. Carlo's substitutions that he made were positive. One was more of a forced one in Kadira. You know, Kadira was a, the decision to who to play in midfield was between Kadira and Iamendi. With Alonso being suspended, they were really the two choices. It wasn't easy to pick Kadira because he'd been out for so long with the ACL and had only actually played one game before the Champions League but we knew he'd done a really thorough rehabilitation from the knee he was so professional he had that experience so he went with uh, Kadir over Yamendi but it was going to be difficult for him to last the 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 full duration so that was one change that needed to be done and the other one the other one's magical and I think it's testimony to the coaching team well actually in the first year of us being there if you're talking about Mossolo and Contrao Contrao was the better left back in the first year. It's incredible to hear that said. And in the second year, it was clearly Marcelo. By a distance. By a distance. Mm. So, you know, I think Contrao deserved to, to, to play the game based on what he'd done that, se- that season. He'd, been, he'd made the cross for the semi final, first leg winning goal. Yeah, yeah. Overlapping. Yes. Looking like he'd looked when he burst through yeah. in Portugal and for the national team, which was. Somebody who could defend and attack and was a blend of the traditional and the modern yes. in terms of... And then he wasn't. And I'll say, I I'm not in for... It would have been said around Madrid regular that he wasn't the smartest, the most assiduous. I don't think he moved with the times in terms of where you took the club. Yeah, Yet sure. he started that game. Yeah. And you didn't piss Marcelo off, who came on and did quite well. Yeah, obviously Marcelo was sad not to, not to start the game and he was disappointed before the game, but... You know, he was ready to contribute and it was the right time you know Fabio hadn't had a particularly outstanding game it was the right substitute to do and then from right I mean Morata was Morata, the, the how did you keep him alive all season like focused and intense yeah. and ready to take that chance well a lot, a lot of that goes down to him you know the, he was a competitor he liked to train and I think also Arbaloa has a lot to uh, can take a lot of credit for the way that he was and the environment he created with those that weren't playing so regularly. 
because there were a number of occasions through the season and if you say Cavajal was the played more games at, at right back than yep. Arbeloa did and in the second year even more so and I see this year now he hardly features at all so his football's got less and less over the, over the years but even in that first year Cavajal would play more than Arbeloa so Arbeloa was having to train more and play less and there were a number of times when Carlo said um, right we've had a heavy schedule tomorrow it's going to be a day off but those that have not played tonight so it was a day after a game mm. those that have not played tonight if you want to come in and work you can come in and, and work and we'll, we'll do some training with you the coaches will be there and this might have happened six to eight times over the two years and almost always Morata was in that group mm-hmm. Arbeloa lots of times in the first year with Nacho and Casemiro etc every time they were given the opportunity to either be off or come in they came in they never once said we're going to take take the day off and I think big credit goes to Arbeloa because he would say uh, I'm in and right you're in aren't you you're in you're in that's beautiful we got six we got eight then he'd come to me and say right what about we do this in training he was already thinking about what he wanted to do in the session I mean he was a fitness fanatic I've never seen anyone so driven by getting fit and training. I mean, during the first pre-season, we had a weekend off and uh, come back after the weekend. I said, oh, yeah, a nice weekend. We'd just done six days training, which included three doubles in that as well, so ten sessions. And I said, you have a good weekend off? And no, no, I did a triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> and he would do these other crazy physical tests. I mean, he, he just loved to to work so he was he was you, very you, influential around the young players you've been very happy because it's fantastic <coughs> that you can attribute something special to a player who didn't play that much mm. and we all are, are learning that the, the fabric of a group beyond players 1 to 13 or 14 is really important who pushes the other ones in training who's competing for his place and therefore whoever's got the place has to work hard because in airs by right and I remember during the 2012 European Championship where uh, Alvaro was still involved and we were doing interviews and we, we get privileged access to the group and he stopped me and, and wanted to know all about what I was doing as in the mechanics of journalism why did you do this and when did you do this and how would you use that and do you ever find that and I was like Whoa, I like this I like curiosity in life and he's likeable and intelligent to listen to and yet he's, he's in, at the moment in this very public very intense spat with Gerard Piquet where Alvaro almost represents Madridismo and Piqué almost represents it. They're very different people and they don't get on and it's getting kind of nasty. Alvaro and Iker fell out fairly badly. So for you, people, it's not a visual medium, so when Paul was talking about Alvaro, you were showing that he was getting the other ones involved just by that little gesture of leadership like, you know, Casemiro, are you in right? As in, I'm not saying you got me here, but as soon as I put my arm around your gesture to you, you're in. And that, that does some of your coaching work for you. No, of course. And as a coach and a manager, that group that aren't playing as much, the management of them is everything because they need to be there to create good training intensity for those that are playing. They need to be ready to be called upon to take their opportunity because it can happen at any time. You know, long-term injury and they're in. You know, he certainly made that a lot easier and a lot more professional than it could have been. I've been at a couple of European Cup finals that have finished in unbelievably dramatic fashion. Um, at 99, the United in Munich with a club that is pretty strong in your heart, 
because the Chelsea game was just about as unbelievable with did he drop his goal and, and what happened subsequently there's been Liverpool blah blah blah, blah. so where was your mind and your heart and your nerves with about a minute and a half left in Lisbon and you're trailing 1-0 to the enemy well I thought you know time was running out and you know we'd had a couple of chances a couple of half chances and thinking are you going to get another one are you going to get another one and you're looking up at the clock my understanding I don't know if this is true or not but someone said to me that the Atletico kit man had brought the box out which I think had the t-shirts in and the caps probably so you know it was getting to that time people were some had started to leave the stadium you know it was getting to that point 93 five additional minutes I know Simeone was crazy about there being so many which you know, I, I thought it was fair. I thought it was. I, I did think it was fair with the stoppages and the time wasting. You know, for the set plays and the throw-ins. I, I thought it was a fair five. And obviously, after we did score, and Simeone was remonstrating with the referee that was going into it, that we played five, but you know, we did score after three. So nearly all games have three added on. So I don't think it was an argument that we'd scored on 94, 95, 96. It was 93. But yeah, obviously, clearly that's late. That's a late. The fat lady is, is warbling and warming up her voice to sing. Yeah. Can you remember the goal? Yeah, I, what I can't remember is how the corner came about. I can't remember that. But I remember, yeah, I remember clearly like Luca's right footed outswinging corner and then the ball being quite high but, and then dipping down. And Sergio not actually being up that high himself in terms of the jump, but the connection was was outstanding and at that period of the game to, I mean it was right in the bottom corner you're talking about against Courtois 6'5 6'6 yeah. he's got a massive reach anything but where it was and he probably saves it or it's it's going to go wide so a sensational moment and I was off <laughs> I was off I get there a bit late <laughs> I think they were the huddle had almost broke up and they were heading back <laughs> To the, the kickoff by the time I got down there, but you do see me just arrive at the end. And by the time I got there, it was like, "Come on, let's get back out there and let's finish this off." Were, were you slow getting there because Xavi Alonso pushed you out of the way? Because Xavi was down there as well. He's up and off in his suit, isn't he? The goal was in, and he's he's up over the wall and on the track, moving faster than he's moved all night. Well, I think I'm right in saying he got another band for that. Probably. I, I, that ban, he got banned. Doing occasional doing work that. for UEFA.com. I can't comment on that. No. So, all right, let's leave his, his foul misdemeanour of running around in joy at a football match mm. aside. Can I ask you to be frank and say that as soon as it was 1 1, did you kind of know you were going to win? Because yeah. I think everybody else did. Yeah, we had a really positive feeling at that point. There were two things. You looked at the Atletico players from the psychological point of view about. Conceding a goal at that point, that's hard to take. <laughs> but also physically, yeah. towards the end of the 90 minutes and then going into extra time, there were players really fatigued. You know, they were dropping with cramp. They had to do the Diego Costa change after eight to ten minutes, so that was one change. Two others, you know, it was it was difficult for them to see the game out physically. I did have some concerns whether we would be able to, because we did have doubts over. Cristiano's fitness Bale's fitness Di Maria at one point was down and was thought he'd actually torn his hamstring but it had just tightened up and 
I think the euphoria and the adrenaline just well, got them through it. it. Yeah, but there's, not, there's no fitness like we're going to win because they all looked as if it was day three of the season. Yeah. Once the sec- once the equaliser goes in, yeah. I mean they, they were playing glorious football. It was like playing as if it was October. It was yeah. absolutely fantastic. And I was, I was like, I don't know Gareth at all, but I was hugely pleased. He, that, that to me, irrespective of what happened later, is the winning goal. As soon as it's two one, that is it. Yeah. And I was pleased for him because he'd been. You know, underappreciated both by the Madrid crowd, I think, that first season, by the Madrid media. I think in Britain, if another player, a different type of player or in a different era, had been going abroad and winning the Champions League, he'd have been lauded for it differently. So, was there satisfaction for you in seeing him getting that goal? Yeah, of course. And after having got the winner in the Copa del Rey as well with a, you know, a legendary goal. Running down the left, not the right. Where down he, the left. Having been defending outside his own box, which nobody gives him credit yeah. for either. Deep. Four metres off the pitch. I think he went out and got an ice cream and yeah. then came back. And it went about 44 metres. It's, it's an incredible goal. It'll go down in the, uh, as a legendary goal as, as, as well as the, the winner in the cup. Being as a Scotland, and I don't mean rude now, but like, we know each other well enough for me to talk about David Neary in the World Cup in 1982 when Jimmy Hill called up Topo when Davy scored the, the best goal in the world ever from 40 yards. It was a good goal, but he top poked it in. No, he did. He yeah. scuffed it. I'm not sure he did. I mean, you see oh, players do. You see oh. players do that now. Oh, it's a trick shot, is it? Ronaldinho. What about the way he bam, he gets that quick release True. off the toes? True. I think it's a skill. Marcelo can do it really well as well. Okay. Well, I, I'm not really in a position to argue that one, but let's say I, I didn't come into this discussion <laughs> with that point of view. But it was that was a glorious goal. I don't know if you've ever seen it, and if not, I'll do what Mark I did for you today and bring you nice pictures. The glorious picture taken in reverse angle by a sports photographer at the Mestaya, where you win the cup. Mestaya, it? yes. So it's taken um, from the end at which Pinto is defending, in which Gareth's about to score, mm. and there's like Gareth has gone wide. Bart was looking at the camera going, oh, how did he get by me there? And, and Martino's going, everybody, get back, get back to people who are 30 yards by and are never going to get there. And there's this beautiful tableau of Gareth, like a winged god. Yeah. I mean, it's Chariots of Fire. Bart are going, oh, that's, you know, really screwed this up. Tata panicking. And it's just all frozen and stuff. And it's fantastic photo. Fantastic photo. Yeah. Which, you, if you don't have, you should have. And if yeah, Gareth doesn't a, have, he should have. It's a great moment. And poor old Tata should never have to see it. Yeah, yeah, sure. The celebrations in Lisbon? What's winning a Champions League like? Oh, it's, it's incredible. And the fact that it was also the, it's a famous one as well. Yeah. The 10th, below us said it to me as the next day as we were going to uh, the town hall to meet the mayor. He said, We've just won the most important. Trophy in world football, and uh, you know I never thought of it like that, but I do think about that moment now that he said that to me. So, yeah, great memories of the final. What happened afterwards? I mean, in, in Lisbon, not a lot really, apart from the the great feeling in the dressing room. You're then onto the coach, and then we took the flight straight back to Madrid. So there was no party in. We got, we got back to Madrid and we took the trophy. Oh, trying to get to Sabellas, of course. Yeah, we went from the Bernabeu to Sabellas and incredible. Well, some, some, I think most people who listen at the beginning of you know what that means. But at least for as we wind up this interview, this gorgeous interview, explain what that is, what it's like, what it looks like, what Sabellas is in this capital of Spain that we're speaking in now. Tell them what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, you got, we got onto the uh, you know, open-top bus at the stadium and then you go down the main 
a sort of massive main avenue down in, in Madrid called the Castellana. And uh, that goes to a, a point where there's a statue and then there's the uh, Sibeles and then there's the, I'm not sure what the, it's an iconic structure right in the middle of Madrid. And that's the place where, if you're with Real Madrid, that you go and celebrate the victory. And there's another place, Neptune, Neptune. is Neptune. where Atletico go. Yeah. Just uh, less regularly. <laughs> there were hundreds of thousands of people on the street, and it wasn't. We didn't get to Sibeles till six a.m. And the amount of people on the streets was—it was incredible. That was a fantastic moment. Sergio and Ica took the trophy up onto the platform as a tradition of putting the, the scarf around so Britain, the like, statue. And health and safety wouldn't allow it. <laughs> Because they're quite high up. Yeah, they are. I mean, it, they put all the scaffolding up and it, it looked good. All the same. A few speeches, back to the stadium, and then we went off again. And then we reported back the next day, and that's when we visited. We went to the town hall. We went to see the mayor, Puerto del Sol. Huge crowds. And then finished off back at the stadium, where we presented the trophy to the supporters. 85,000 there. Firework display. Sensational. But then... It's gone. finally. It's oh, what? It finishes. You know, you go off, the players go with their international, you're on, you're on holiday. You know, it's, a, it's, it's a, a memory, it's a fantastic memory. It's a fleeting moment. You know what, there's so much build-up to it. And I felt this a little bit with the other... I've been fortunate enough to be involved in nine major trophies, and the journey is long and tough and demanding. The victory is euphoric, but it's, it's short-lived because you have to move on quickly because there's another season there's another game there's other trophies to be won but uh, the, these kind of interviews that really sort of bring it back when you start to really think about it and talk about it you know I have my medal which is obviously something very special that will get passed on through the family the club uh, with all the four trophies we won gave us a miniature trophy which is beautiful yeah. and uh, we had a, a lovely watch as well for winning the Champions League so all nice things Touching on watches, he said with restraint that he doesn't normally have and maturity which I don't normally show, it's about time to let you go, which pisses me off. <laughs> Thank you for explaining it so well. Thank you for sharing it. We didn't know when we started out, but we have discovered that people get addicted to hearing these stories. And if, as a bonus, you've enjoyed it too, then we kind of feel our job's done and both Martin and I are very happy indeed. It's been evident from the start that we've been speaking to a champion and a British champion who did it abroad in a foreign language. That ain't nothing. Thanks for talking to us. No, I appreciate it. Great, thank you. Well done, champion. I need to tell you about a new book being published by Backpage, the good guys who produce this podcast. Football 2.0, How the World's Best Play the Modern Game by Grant Wall is in all good bookstores. What does that mean to you? Well, Grant Wall sits down with superstars such as Manuel Neuer, Vincent Company, and Xabi Alonso. And thanks to extensive interviews with players in every key position on and off the pitch, he explains the technical and tactical revolution which has transformed modern football. This book is packed with insights that only those at the very top of the sport can offer. In the words of my good friend Gabriel Marcotti, 
Grant Wall is an expert storyteller who has managed to get some of the best in the world to share the secrets of their trade. So, big interview listeners, that's your World Cup reading sorted. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. 